Hello, dear friends. My name is Deacon Lynn. I'm from Christ Church in Boston Spa. And I have to say, I miss all your smiling faces. And I thank you for listening to me today. I just finished reading a terrific book by, um, his name is N.T. Wright. And the name of the book is God and the, the Pandemic, A Christian Reflection on the Coronavirus and its aftermath. Now, N.T. Wright is a research professor of New Testament and early Christianity at the University at St. Andrews. Prior to that, he was a bishop in England. He has authored over 80 books. His book was very comforting for me, so I will be using a lot of his ideas for this talk. First, I feel that I need to share some of what I've learned from the darkest time in my life. My daughter's ski accident when she was 26 and her subsequent death seven years later after living with a traumatic brain injury has made me consider a lot. When Jennifer had the accident and was in a coma for a few months, my immediate feeling was that God was punishing me for what I wasn't sure of, but God was punishing me for some unrepented sin. Later, my next reaction was that I got angry and I said, wait a minute, I go to church every Sunday. I'm a social worker in a cancer center. I'm helping people. I'm a good person. Why me? Why Jen? I even remember thinking that it would be so much easier to not believe in the healing power of Jesus as I watched my daughter suffer. N.T. Wright seems to be saying in his book so eloquently what I eventually learned during my dark time. He is asking, what should Christians be doing during this pandemic? He says, faced with the rapid spread of the coronavirus, many people in churches have reached for Christian equivalents of the ancient knee-jerk reactions. The world is full of conspiracy theories. Some in America think it's all China's fault. Some in China have said it's all America's fault. The blame game is easy especially when it is someone else's fault. We sometimes have the impression that the coronavirus is providing people with a megaphone with which to say more loudly what they were wanting to say anyway. Bad things happen, say some people, that's because of abortion, gay rights, whatever. Wright goes on to say that's not a good way to go. From there, he goes on to prove why. He says in the Hebrew scriptures, the greatest disaster of all was the Babylonian exile. And the great prophets interpreted that event in terms of the large scale punishment for Israel's sin. But the rumor persists that ill fortune and ill behavior are always linked 
in a straightforward causal chain. N.T. Wright says, whenever anyone tells you that coronavirus means that God is calling people, perhaps you, perhaps me, to repent, then tell them to read Job. The whole point is that that is not the point. The book of Job rattles the cages of our easygoing piety. It reminds us that there are indeed more things in heaven and earth, more pains and puzzles in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in our philosophy, even our Christian philosophy. In the end, God himself declares that Job has told the truth. Job has clung to the fact that God is just, even though his own misery seems to deny it. N.T. Wright goes on to say, alongside this Israel and God story, there runs the deeper story of the good creation and the dark power that from the start has tried to destroy God's good handiwork. He says, I do not claim to understand that dark power. As I shall suggest later, I don't think we're meant to. We are simply to know that when we are caught up in awful circumstances, apparent gross injustices, terrible plagues, or when we are accused of wicked things of which we are innocent, suffering strange sicknesses with no apparent reason, let alone a cure, at those points we are to lament, we are to complain, we are to state the cause and leave it with God. Jesus not only drew on that story, he lived it, he died under it. Wright says, it is Jesus who stands between God and humans. He has shown the way through death to renewed life. He has put all things right and will work that out in the end. Today's gospel reading confirms that point. When Jesus reached Bethany, he learned that his good friend Lazarus had died. Did Jesus say, well, Lazarus died because of one of his sins? No. What did Jesus do? Jesus wept. Wow, that brought me back to my feelings about after Jennifer's accident. I remember when the Holy Spirit was able to speak through her brain-injured mind a year and a half after her accident. I remember when she was finally able to put her thoughts together and speak. I was still furious that God had not healed Jen to be the way she was before her injury. I was furious that just a few inches on a tree could make her suffer so. Couldn't God have moved her feet so she missed the tree? I had heard so many stories about people praising God because they were saved from a dangerous car accident. Why not Jennifer? After all, she had only been married for six months to a lovely young man. So I asked Jen 
if she were angry at God for what happened to her. This was a year and a half after her accident. She thought for a while and then slowly said these words. Jesus said, Jennifer, look out for that tree. And then I biffed and he cried. Wow, Jennifer got it. And I learned a most valuable lesson that has carried me through all these years since her death. What about the story of the man born blind? When Jesus' disciples asked him who sinned, the man or his parents, that he was born blind, Jesus replied, he didn't sin, nor did his parents. It happened so that God's works could be seen in him. So what should Christians be doing during this COVID time? Let me read to you from the book of Acts. As a background for this reading, the church is growing in the city of Antioch. Many people from many different nationalities have come to believe in Jesus. Barnabas goes to find Paul and brings him to help with the work of the new church. So scripture says, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Wright says, so what did the Antioch Christian followers say? They did not say, this is a sign that the Lord is coming back soon. Nor did they say, this must mean that we have sinned and need to repent. Or even, this will give us a great opportunity to tell the wider world that everyone has sinned and needs to repent. They didn't play the blame game. Instead, they asked three simple questions. Who is going to be at special risk when this happens? What can we do to help? And who shall we send? N.T. Wright goes on to say, there will be problems, there will be punishments, setbacks, shipwrecks, but God's purpose will come through. These people of Antioch, the prayerful, humble, faithful, early Christians did not ask the question, why? But they asked the question, what? And the question is something that we should consider. Who is most at risk? How can we help? Who shall we send? And that's what today's Christians should be asking. Not why, but what? What can we do? Remember this, God works in all things with and through those who love him. That would be us. 
We expect God to be, as you might say, in charge, taking control, sorting things out, getting things done. But the God we see in Jesus is the God who wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. The God we see in Jesus is the God, the Spirit, who groans without words. The God we see in Jesus is the one who, to demonstrate what kind of being in charge would look like, did the job of a slave and washed his disciples' feet. I believe that's what we as Christians can do to help and heal God's world. We need to follow Jesus' example of love and healing. And I wanted to just say that Jennifer, in her remaining years, she was used by God. She went to speak at various schools in Vermont and to tell the children to wear ski helmets. Later, she went on to visit other brain-injured people in her local hospital to pray with them and encourage them of God's love. I would like to end with this poem by uh, Malcolm Guti entitled Easter 2020. This was also an N.T. Wright's book. And the poem says, And where is Jesus this strange Easter day? Not lost in our locked churches anymore. Then he was sealed in that dark sepulcher. The locks are loosed. The stone is rolled away. And he is up and risen long before, alive at large and making his strong way into the world. He gave his life to save. No need to seek him in his empty grave. He might have been a wafer in the hands of priests that day or music from the lips of red-robed choristers. Instead, he slips away from church shakes off our linen bands to don his apron with a nurse. He grips and lifts a stretcher, soothes with gentle hands the frail flesh of the dying, gives them hope, breathes with the breathless, lends them to strength to cope. God bless you all.